Welcome to A Beggar Who Found Bread. I'm your host, Brad, and I'm a beggar. I found the bread of life, Messiah Yeshua, and I want others to understand where I found this bread that their eyes would be open to the truth. This episode, There Must Be Some Misunderstanding. Shout out to Genesis for the title to this episode. Longtime pop rockers, Genesis, and not pop rocks the candy. That would be weird. You probably knew that. I'm talking about pop rock as a genre of music. Yeah, you knew that. Anyway, Genesis is probably most recognized with Phil Collins as lead singer, though the band had a few frontmen over the decades. The original lead singer was Peter Gabriel, who went on to a solo career and other ventures. Gabriel had some entertaining videos in the 80s with Sledgehammer and Big Time. And of course, Phil Collins, he had a solid solo career as well. And bandmate Mike Rutherford, he went on to Mike and the Mechanics for a while. So yeah, lots of stuff coming out of Genesis. You see what I did there? Lots of... Anyway... Yeah, and their first album, released in 1969, the title of that was From Genesis to Revelation. Yeah, look at that. And as popular as Genesis had been over the years, they only had one number one hit in the U.S., Against All Odds, which is clearly not even close to their best song. But anyway, that was that's it. That's the only number one hit they ever had. And that just seemed weird to me because... They had. They seemed to have more chart-topping songs, as much airplay as they got, and as much video play as like Land of Confusion got, and In the Air Tonight. So I assumed they had more number one hits, but clearly they did not. Oh well, perception is not reality. It's not about the music anyway. It is about the message. There must be some misunderstanding. So I've been digging more into the Apostle Paul's letter to believers in Galatia, the book of Galatians in the Bible, and more and more is coming clear. And this book, this book is quite challenging if you are a Messianic believer or Torah pursuant, any of whatever the titles are, you know, whatever box we're being put in. Uh, this week, because it's most commonly if you, when you speak with someone who is involved in a mainstream Christian church and you talk about the relevance of the Torah, oftentimes they'll say, if they're nice people, they'll say, but what about what it says in Galatians? And then they'll maybe give you a verse or turn to a verse and you can have a discussion. Or if they're not so nice, they say something along the lines of, have you ever read Galatians? Yeah, so there's that. Anyway, it's more and more coming clear to me, and I'm grateful. I've been doing digging into it, and um, you know, part of me kind of wants to do a full breakdown and study of the entire book, and I, I may do that at some point, Lord willing. We'll see how things go. For now, I believe the portions that I'm breaking down on these episodes can help unlock the whole of this letter to give better understanding as you study through it and Paul's other writings as well. And uh, this, as well as some of Paul's other writings, which are so often incorrectly interpreted by evangelicals. And I mentioned previously that a great resource to study along with the book of Galatians is the Holy Epistle 
to the Galatians, which is written by Daniel Lancaster. So again, I'll just drop that out there for you. Great resource. So the poor understanding of Paul's writings has been accepted for so long that any other interpretation or understanding is often looked upon with suspicion or simply dismissed outright without any kind of verification, any kind of digging in to study, um, you know, for the individual self. Just nope, nope, that's not right. This is how I read it. That settles it. So I will submit to you for your consideration. I want to submit to you my understanding of a portion of Galatians, which has been, in my opinion, I think it's more than an opinion, but it has been so mishandled, it is a cause for great confusion, and quite plainly, it has caused some really bad doctrine. As always, study to show yourself approved of God. Don't just take my word for it. Study to show yourself approved of God, but I believe there is a much deeper and relevant and contextualized understanding of the book of Galatians that many have been missing for quite some time. I'm going to read Galatians chapter 4. I'll start at verse 21. I'm going to read all the way through chapter 5, verse 6. Galatians 4, 21. Tell me, you who want to be under Torah, Don't you understand the Torah? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. But one, the son by the slave woman, was born naturally, while the other, the son by the free woman, was through the promise. Now these things are being treated allegorically, for these are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, giving birth to slavery. This is Hagar. But this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery along with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and shout, you who suffer no labor pains, for more are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. Now, you brothers and sisters, like Isaac, you are children of promise. But just as that Just as at that time, the one born according to the flesh persecuted the one born according to the Ruach, spirit, so it is now. But what does the scripture say? Drive out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. For freedom, Messiah set us free. So stand firm and do not be burdened by a yoke of slavery again. Yet I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be let yourselves be circumcised, Messiah will be of no benefit to you. Again, I testify to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to keep the whole Torah. 
you who are trying to be justified by Torah have been cut off from Messiah. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Ruach, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Messiah Yeshua, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any meaning, but only trust and faithfulness expressing itself through love. All right. Good portion there. Lots of information. The most common understanding of this passage in evangelical Christianity is that if you follow the Torah, you are making yourself a slave. So, don't follow the Torah. Torah equals slavery. Christianity is freedom. Even freedom from the Torah. Once again, I will point out, as I did in the Curses episode, if Paul is saying here that observing the Torah is slavery... He is calling himself a slave and not free because he clearly in scripture, in his own writings, continued to observe the Torah. He was always in his life a Torah observant Jew, a Pharisee. And since Paul says in Romans that the Torah is holy and good, and since the Messiah Yeshua said he did not come to abolish the Torah, but to fulfill it, and since the word of Adonai remains forever, the Torah being a part of Adonai's word, there must be some misunderstanding. There must be some misunderstanding to say law bad, grace good, works bad, faith good. Paul never made that argument. So he is not calling himself or other Jews slaves in this passage. We need to break this down a little bit to get to what he is talking about. The first line, verse 21 says, Tell me, you who want to be under Torah, don't you understand the Torah? So let's first remember to whom this letter is written from chapter one, verse two, to Messiah's communities of Galatia. So these are followers of the Messiah, primarily those called God fearers who are Gentiles following the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob through Yeshua, the Messiah. It would have also been read by or to Jewish followers of Yeshua, the natural born, and those who had been proselytized into the Jewish faith, Gentile believers who were converted to, uh, to become Jewish. The majority of the recipients of this letter would be the God-fearers, God-fearing Gentiles who were being encouraged and in some cases even forced to undergo circumcision and proselytization to be considered of the faith, being told, you have to do this to be saved. When Paul uses this phrase, under Torah, you who want to be under Torah, he is again using the very narrow definition regarding those laws that apply to Jewish identity. The proselytes who were following Yeshua were insisting any new Gentile followers must convert to become Jewish in order to be saved. So Paul tells this parable using Abraham, Hagar, Sarah, Ishmael, and Isaac 
as comparisons in this. So we'll pick up now at verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. But one, the son of the slave woman, was born naturally, while the other, the son of the free by the free woman, was through the promise. Now these things are being treated allegorically, for these are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, giving birth to slavery. This is Hagar. All right. So, again, to try and to, to try and, and reinforce here, Paul is not comparing Jews and Christians in this. He is comparing or Jews and Gentiles in this, I should say. He's not comparing natural-born Jews and Gentiles. He is comparing one type of Gentile believer with another type of Gentile believer. That's the comparison that's being made in here. And so this reference, the passage we just read, verses 23 through 24, are quickly accepted by many as, see, the two women, the two covenants. One is slavery, the other is freedom. Mount Sinai is the covenant where the law is given. That's slavery. And Christianity, that's the new covenant, and that's freedom. And that would be true, except that's not the two covenants Paul is using in his allegory. They aren't. And we'll get there in a little bit. Yes, Mount Sinai is the one covenant. Yes, clearly, he spells that out. The old covenant, uh, as, many, as many will call it. Mount Sinai is one of these covenants. The other covenant he's referring to is actually the older covenant. It's the original covenant, Genesis 15, starting at verse 2. But Abram said, my Lord Adonai, what will you give me since I am living without children and the heir of my household is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, look, you have given me no seed. So a houseborn servant is my heir. Then behold, the word of Adonai came to him saying, this one will not be your heir, but in fact, one who will come from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up now at the sky and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, so shall your seed be. Then he believed in Adonai and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. There is the covenant and this covenant predates circumcision. This chapter covers the Abrahamic covenant. That's chapter 15 in Genesis. He, Abram and Sarai, have no children at this point, and he has not yet conceived with Hagar. The houseborn servant Abram refers to in this passage is Eleazar, not of his seed. This covenant and the covenant at Mount Sinai are the two which are being compared in this passage. We should also note the comparison of these covenants is not being used to compare Jews and Gentiles. As I said, it is comparing two types of Gentile believers, those who have been proselytized and those who are the God-fearers who had not undergone the rituals, the conversion to become Jewish. Once more, 
the proselytes were emphasizing to the God-fearing Gentiles the importance of insist and insistence that they must become Jewish to follow the Jewish Messiah. They must be Jewish to be saved. It is comparing Hagar and Sarah as well as Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael is Abraham's son according to the flesh, meaning what? My version actually uses the word naturally. Many other many others simply use the word flesh of the of the flesh. And this does not mean sin. In fact, rarely rarely when we read something of the flesh, this you know, um even fleshly minded it's it's talking about those putting putting confidence in the flesh it is not simply it is not meaning that the act uh was sin if that makes sense i don't know that was a side note i'm going to keep moving forward here um but it doesn't it it does not mean where it, where it says that that Ishmael is the son of the flesh. That doesn't mean the son of sin, as many like to think. It quite simply means naturally born. Hagar was not beyond the years of having children. So there is no miracle, if you will, to Ishmael's birth. It was very natural. Sarah, on the other hand, is well beyond childbearing age, and she has been barren her entire life. Isaac is the child of promise. Ishmael, the child of the flesh. Natural means there was no divine intervention necessary in the birth of Ishmael. So, what is the promise? Since Isaac is the child of promise. Galatians 3, starting at verse 16. Paul covered this earlier, but let's go back. Galatians three sixteen. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. It doesn't say and to seeds as of many, but as of one and to your seed who is the Messiah. What I am saying is this Torah, which came 430 years later, does not cancel the covenant previously confirmed by God so as to make the promise ineffective. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise. But God has graciously given it to Abraham by means of a promise. These verses confirm the promise as well as defines the two covenants Paul is writing about. We can see that right in here. The promise is to, is to Abram's seed, referring to Messiah Yeshua. God's promise to Abraham, and if you recall, his name was changed. It was originally Abram, meaning exalted father. And then it was changed to Abraham, which is father of multitudes or father of many nations. And again, what God, what God is saying through Paul in this is the promise, the Torah didn't nullify the promise that was made to Abraham from the start. Abraham will be the father of many nations through the Messiah Yeshua, not just those who are Jewish or who go through proselytization, proselytization, Gentiles who become Jewish. It's not through that. The promise comes through Abraham, through the Messiah Yeshua. Abraham will be the father to many nations, not just Israel, but to the Gentiles, people of the nations, 
they would also become children of Abraham through Messiah. There's, there is the promise. And again, we see the two covenants in here, which Paul is comparing. They're clearly identified. Look at verse 17. What I am saying is this, Torah, which came 430 years later, does not cancel the covenant previously confirmed by God so as to make the promise ineffective. So Paul is saying the Torah did not nullify the original covenant made with Abraham, which is through the son of promise, Isaac, leading to Messiah Yeshua, through whom Jew and Gentile will be a part of the kingdom of Hashem. And I believe, I, I am confident that there will always be that distinction, Jew and Gentile. Though we say, though Paul even said, and this will be for another time, that there is no longer Jew, there is no longer Gentile in Messiah. I do not believe for one second that God is making some homogenized, ambiguous, androgynous being through, uh, through Yeshua, because the scriptures continue to make the distinction between Jew and Gentile and between male and female. So what Paul is saying to the Galatians is, if you choose to go the route of becoming Jewish through conversion, you are going through the natural way, not the way of promise. Putting faith in becoming Jewish and your new Jewishness versus putting faith in the Messiah, the way of promise. So this parable and allegory Paul is using is trying to make really one singular point. You Gentiles, there is a natural way, and if you choose that, then you are required to live as a Jew, period. But you are also, the, the Torah still exists for you. And if you, as a Gentile, choose the way of promise, there is no requirement of becoming a Jew. You may follow the Jewish Messiah as a Gentile and observe Torah because Torah still exists for you as well. So when we read, but the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. And this is in verse 26. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. Paul is making another comparison between Sarah and Hagar. He said up in verse 25 that Hagar is the natural Jerusalem. But Sarah is Jerusalem from above. Okay. Referring to, again, Sarah. She is our mother. If we are children of the promise. So Jerusalem above is the promise, divine, supernatural, if you will. Jerusalem of the earth is natural. Comparing the contrast of Sarah and Hagar with Gentile God-fearing followers and, uh, of Yeshua and with proselyte followers of Yeshua. We then read, For it is written, Rejoice, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and shout, you who, will, you who suffer no labor pains. For more are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a, has a husband. Paul's quoting Isaiah 54 here, um, verse 1, as a reference to Sarah, which contextually refers to the new Jerusalem in the Messianic era. I'll read from Isaiah 54. 
Sing, barren one who has not given birth, burst into singing and shout, you who have not travailed. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married one, says Adonai. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out your tabernacle curtains, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right hand and to the left. Your offspring will possess the nations and will resettle the desolate cities. So it's like, hey, Sarah, you've been barren and you're even beyond the years of giving birth, but burst out in song to Adonai. You will be more fruitful than many married women. Girl, get ready. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out your tabernacle curtains. Don't hold back. Lengthen the cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right hand and to the left. Your offspring will possess the nations and will resettle the desolate cities. All this through the seed of promise, Messiah. How do we know that this refers to the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of of the Messiah? Well, because conveniently located just before Isaiah 54 is Isaiah 53. Hallelujah. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion with the great and he will divide the spoil with the mighty because he poured out his soul to death and he was counted with transgressors for he bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Hallelujah. Come on, people. If you can't get excited about that, someone needs to grab a defibrillator and and just kind of give you a couple of clear and hit you with them, hit you with those paddles for real. All right. So I'm going to jump back to Galatians chapter four right now. Um, Verse 28. Now, now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, you are children of promise. This is referring to the God-fearing Gentile Yeshua followers. followers. But just as at that time, the one born according to the flesh persecuted the one according to the Ruach spirit, so it is now. All right, so what's Paul talking about? At that time, Ishmael persecuted Isaac. The one of natural birth persecuted the son of promise. Look at Genesis 21, beginning at verse 8. The child, this is speaking of Isaac, grew and was weaned. Abraham made a big feast on the day Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, making fun. So she said to Abraham, drive out this female slave and her son, for the son of this female slave will not be an heir with my son, with Isaac. All right. So Ishmael was picking on. He was persecuting his younger half-brother the same way the proselytes were persecuting God-fearing Gentiles. As I understand it, there is a rabbinic teaching in Genesis Rabbah, a rabbinic writing which states that Ishmael mocked Isaac because Isaac was circumcised as an infant on the eighth day without choice. He just, it was just done to him. But Ishmael, as a 13-year-old, agreed to be circumcised. So 
he was better than Isaac because of that. Whether that that story is spot on accurate, whether it's factual or not, I do not know. But I do know Paul would have been familiar with that tradition. He would have known he would have known of that story. And so he is making this comparison. And now we'll move on. Verse 30. But what does the scripture say? Drive out the slave woman and her son for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman which is Paul, Paul just quoted from Genesis 21 in that, in that verse. Then verse 31, So then, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Paul is not saying in this to kick out the proselytes, but simply cautioning them, cautioning these God-fearing Gentiles that they do not need to go through the natural route. They received inheritance through the son of promise and through the promised one, the Messiah, Yeshua. Paul, a Jew, even calls himself a child of the free woman in this. He says, we of the free woman. He's calling himself this, though he is a Jew. And he's revealing once more that he puts no faith in his Jewish heritage, but only in Messiah Yeshua and him crucified. So let's jump to chapter five now. It begins, and I'm going to, I'm actually giving my own amplification in this or some of my own interpretation as I read through this. And you should be able, if you're following along, you'll be able to tell what's me. For freedom, Messiah set us free. So stand firm in the promise made to Abraham, fulfilled in Yeshua. And do not be burdened by a yoke of slavery again, trying to obtain the inheritance through the natural born son. Listen, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Messiah will be of no benefit to you. Again, I testify to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to keep the whole Torah. So being circumcised, and this is more of my interpretation or, or amplification here. So being circumcised doesn't get you in. The Torah is still there. You still are obligated to the Torah. You who are trying to be justified by Torah, the ritual rites to become Jewish, have been cut off from Messiah. You have fallen away from grace, putting faith in becoming Jewish for through the Ruach spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Messiah Yeshua, there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. Being a Jew or a Gentile has neither of those have any meaning, but only trust and faithfulness expressing itself through love. Paul uses this parable and allegory to make the one point for those who would say Paul is meaning the Gentiles who were proselytized into becoming Jew into becoming Jewish. They were they were trying to force others or that they had gone through that process. Well, they're excluded from the coming kingdom. I'd be very careful. I do believe he is saying no one should put faith in the natural things, our flesh, our heritage, lineage, conversion into anything, etc. But that our faith must be in Adonai Elohim, the Lord our God, through the Messiah, the promised one, Yeshua. 
He is in no way denouncing the Torah or Jewish people. Paul again reminds the proselytes and those considering follow, following suit that are considering, hey, maybe we're going to get proselytes too because we're being told this is what we got to do. He, he tells them that just taking on Jewish identity is not enough. You do those, those few things, but the whole of Torah still applies whether you are Jewish or whether you are a Gentile follower of the Jewish Messiah. You can't just get circumcised and be like, okay, now I'm in. And we discussed a lot of that in the last episode, Curses. You can check that one out. And as I've said before, when we read what we think is Paul contradicting Torah and Yeshua, who upheld the Torah in all points and did not come to abolish it, then if, we, if what we're reading makes us think Paul is contradicting either Torah or Yeshua, then we have a, either a poor translation or a poor understanding of his writings. Context improves our understanding. And I believe this understanding brings much more context to the book of Galatians. Study to show yourself approved of God, as always. And I hope that this has blessed and challenged you. I'm a beggar who found the bread of life, Messiah Yeshua, and I want others to know where I found this bread. So let's go out and give him heaven. Chain shalom, grace and peace.